Hello, everyone. It is Sarah and Jeff here. You're probably, wait, where's the music? Where's the hello, hello, et cetera, et cetera. It's coming. Don't worry. We actually recorded this very special episode for you all the way back in May of this year. Centuries ago, it feels like. Quite fitting with who we interviewed. Yeah. we. Uh, so back in May, we attended the uh, Endless Nights Salem Vampire Salon. At Hammond Castle up in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Which I think we've probably talked about like a dozen times, but it was so much fun. Uh, so fantastic. Uh, and, and all of their events are top notch. But having a great event at a castle was pretty cool. And who better to sit down with beforehand. And when I say before, I mean literally we were half ready for this party, my hair was up in curls at this point. As we were recording. As we were recording. But we got to sit down with the founder, the curator, the mastermind behind the Endless Nights brand, Father Sebastian. So we, uh, like you said, we uh, recorded this a few months ago and we're airing it now uh, for a special reason. Because in, what, two weeks, three weeks? Just under three weeks. We are again attending uh, the Endless Nights. Well, I, I say again, sorry, sorry. This time it is not a salon. It is the Endless Night Vampire Ball here in Salem. The big shebang. I have yet to attend. I've been to a couple salons at this point. You, sir, you emceed the last vampire ball, did you not? The first vampire ball here in Salem. Yes, I did. How was it? It was I, awesome. Are there words? Not really. Not really. And it's, it's, I, I've been a fan of, of Vamp Fangs and, and the vampire uh, community here in Salem and Endless Nights for years. And the salons are like, oh, cool. Like it's a, it's a little, a little intimate, a little private, you know, a little shindig, you know, like, oh, I know, I know sort of a, a lot of the people in the room and you know, a little rubbing elbows. Right. And then at the ball, it is the entire Hawthorne hotel. It is floor to floor and ceiling and main stage and sideshows and it was a totally different beast and it was it was fantastic they have chain aerialists coming to perform i am so excited for that That was a thing to see and an akasha performance as yeah. well so i guess she performed down in new orleans and uh, the curators uh, for Endless Nights here in Salem, uh, Ben and Alexis, which, by the way, if you have not listened to their interview episode, go check that out. Uh, so when uh, they had gone to New Orleans last year, they had seen the Ms. Juno uh, perform as, as Akasha at, at that show. And Ben was like, dude. <sighs> and, and if we've all, if it is anything like watching Akasha on screen, I, I cannot imagine how you, you could tell he was sort of still mesmerized. Uh, I, after like, I, I don't ask, I didn't see him the day he got, but like a couple weeks later, it must've been like mid November. And he was like, dude, <laughs> and he's like, we're going to get her here. So we've got tons of live performances, a private absinthe bar, mm -hmm. and that's just the ball. We've got the whole weekend <laughs> carved out. So I think Friday night they're starting with a uh, sort of private dinner. Yes, the Convivium dinner on September 30th. That's also the same night as the salon. Yes, and I think there's also a uh, after party after that, which I think is a, a lingerie party, oh. if, I, if I recall correctly. That's not like a private after party. That's like like the wind down party for the event. 
Now you will be at the salon, yes, right? I will. Yes. We'll see if I can get over there after my after tour. The tour. Yeah. Yeah. Just wear black on the tour. I mean, wear like wear like one of your black dresses on the tour, and then uh-huh. just come in to the thing afterwards. We'll see how tired yeah. I am. And then, so that that's Friday. Saturday, uh, I know for the VIVs and for the diamond ticket holders, there's some events throughout the day. Uh, and then, of course, the grand ball that evening. Which we will both be at. And then there's some wind down stuff on, on Sunday as well. But that's <laughs> going to be one hell of a weekend for all of us. Hey, that's, that's for sure. That's how we start October is with <laughs> I mean, a vampire party. Hey, I'd rather start it that way than end it that, that way. Is, that is true. It's going to be uh, one heck of a way to kick off the season. So, uh if you haven't gotten your diamond or VIV tickets, unfortunately, it is too late for that. Uh, general admission tickets are still on sale, but they are going to sell out. Uh, so if those piqued your interest at all. Yeah, if you're waiting to get your ticket, don't don't wait, don't wait any longer because you could. I, I have I know a couple people that have their outfits, but don't have their tickets yet. And I'm like, you don't want to be. What are you doing? You don't want to be stuck in that gorgeous outfit with nowhere to go. So, but you know what? Hey, if you miss the endless nights in early October in Salem, maybe you could fly down to New Orleans for the Halloween one or to. Uh, LA in February for that one or the summer one in Tampa. So Salem's not the only. <laughs> no, we are far from the only. Yeah. I, th- I think I might be going to the LA one. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Very we'll, nice. We'll see. We'll see. It's, te- it's tempting me. It's like a week before my birthday. So. Oh, it'd be fitting. Right. Very fitting. So what is about to come next into your ears is our sit down with Father Sebastian, the guy behind Endless Nights and... The man behind the madness. Yes, indeed, the man behind the madness. We hope you enjoy this little trip into his early years and what inspired him to pursue vampire culture as a career. Oh, oh. What? Merch, real quick. Oh, yes. Sorry, sorry. I totally meant to like start off talking about this. It's all good. Um, but uh, for those of you who've gone out and gotten the the mugs and the shirts and the tote bags. Thank uh, you Thank so, you, so thank much. you. Uh, Sarah, I, I think I've told you, I'll tell you again, your, your Tunnel Hunters shirt is definitely one of the best sellers. Oh, I was so excited. <laughs> I was so worried people weren't even going to like it. I, I think I saw one family. Uh, I think one of them got... Uh, the the no logo just to say on the podcast one of them got uh maybe the logo one uh-huh two adult sizes and then they got a, a child size tunnel tunnel hunt. hunters <laughs> yeah. ah. oh it's so cute it's so cute if you haven't gone on to our website yet please do and we'll if you do follow us on social media we'll get some some photos out pretty soon here but we we did put together a cute little tunnel hunters association Salem tunnel hunters association t-shirt and I tell you what I think it's gonna look mighty good on the little kids <laughs> got so cute little go. ghosties and everything yeah so we definitely got one so the whole family they got three shirts uh, so hopefully uh, if you guys are coming if you're listening uh, thank you if you're coming to Salem wear your shirts take pictures tag us if you haven't checked out our merch yet, uh, go to uh, salemthepodcast.com and you can click right there uh, into our merch store. And also, FYI, uh, international shipping, I'm having a problem with. So to, to all of our friends in England and Canada and, and New Zealand and uh, everywhere else, I, I am working on it. Uh, relatively new, this Shopify thing, uh, but I will, I will get it sorted for you guys and, and we'll let you know as soon as that is. 
Thank you again for all your support. Keeps us going. There you go. But with that, back to the vampire stuff. Let's get ready to talk to Father Sebastian. We've already talked to Father Sebastian. Let's get ready for them to listen to us talk to Father Sebastian. Have fun. It's a bloody good time. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. He is a figurehead in vampire subculture around the world. He is an author of several books on the occult, and we are lucky enough to steal him away from Los Angeles. Welcome, Father Sebastian. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Couldn't have asked for more. I am speaking with a Southern California accent now. That's the... Because Bella Lugosi is buried in my backyard, for real. Do people expect the accent when they meet you for the first time? All of Southern California people speak like this, especially surfers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you surf? (laughs) No, but my, my, my legacy comes from San Diego when my father was in the Navy and I was born in the same hospital bed as Don Henry, the vampire. You'll learn about him someday. Oh, Yes. Interesting. Going to have to look into. He is my dilapidated, sideways, upside down brother of. We were born by the same doctor in the same hospitals, eight months apart. Okay, enough with the funny accent. Yes. <laughs> um, no, not all Southern California people have that accent. But I was born in Southern California. That's where it started, and I lived there for six months. And then my mom and dad dragged me to New Jersey, and they called me Surfer Boy. Jersey Boy. Actually, I was born in California, so I have some salvation. My my roommate's from New Jersey. She'll uh, she'll appreciate that. Yeah. Although I, I always make fun of her for it. But sorry. Well, that that that's okay. <laughs> Let's not remember. Jersey's actually really cool. They it just is. legalized it is. weed finally. Yeah. So, uh, what would you say you do? I do many many things. I'm a jack of all trades and master of everything. Um, it's quite the title. So as I open my podcast, my name is Father Sebastian, impresario of the Endless Night Vampire Ball, which means founder. Um, Master Fang Smith of the Sabretooth Clan, which I was a dental technician. And author of Black Veils, the Vampire Master Edition, 888 for Infinity, Infinity, Infinity. And author of Strick of Eye. I think I have that one. No, you just touched it for the first time. I don't have that one. I have the other one. Yes. Uh, What I'm doing now is collecting all my (laughs) books into an immortal edition. That's pretty neat. Yeah. They're all hardcover and stuff. I, I... Love writing and sharing ideas and stuff like that. So I rewrite books all the time, confusing my audience. Well, that's, I mean, you know, leave them wanting more. That's, yes. a, that's a good story. So you started as a, a dental technician? I started as a son of a mom who was actually psychic. She's a latent psychic. And my life started, the most exciting thing in my first six months was my mom was living in San Diego. There was an old tree out front that used to be the tree on the farm, on an apple orchard, or an orange or orangery, just mm-hmm. something like that. Orangery? Orangery, <laughs> like, like in France. Yes. Um, in the Tuileries Garden. And what happened was my mom was always into the paranormal. And she wasn't like crazy religious or anything like that. 
because my grandmother was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, which is awesome. And my mom, one night, saw a young man, about 14, dressed in 19th century clothes, run out the front door. Run out through the door. Oh, my God. Not, not open the door and walk through it. Walk through the door. And she saw him a couple more times, and he, he evidently it was the spirit of a young boy that would... Um, thought I was his son. He was like 14 or 15 oh and he gosh. was hanging over my crib one night. My mother scared him away and he ran right by her and she felt this big chill and out the out the front door and he was standing under the tree looking up at the tree and she had the UCLA parapsychological parapsychologist group. I don't know why they don't call it parapsychologists <laughs> anymore. Ghostbusters started this whole ghost hunting thing and they call them parapsychologists there. Because that's what we called them in the 80s. Way cooler. Yeah, then ghost hunter. Come on. No, um, I, 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 the parapsychology, when I was going to school for psychology, we had a guest lecturer who did parapsychology. And it was, he uh, had a whole study on um, uh, rods. That, that, um, dowsing rods. Dowsing rods. And experiments he'd conducted with those. And, you know, triple blind studies with water and sand and building. It was really fascinating. It was like, it was really great <laughs> to see someone use you know actual science and scientific methods to study these sorts of phenomena which is pretty yeah cool. that's a parapsychologist not a ghost hunter that goes on tv mm-hmm. yeah so i i grew up with my mother watching horror movies supernatural movies my favorite movie was from the beyond uh which showed uh another dimension and a dominatrix which was awesome and have you ever seen from beyond i have not, I have not. i'll okay. put it on the list it's about a scientist who makes this machine that opens up a uh, uh, lowers the veil or the shroud or whatever you want to call it between this world and another world and there's like fish and monsters and stuff and 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 he goes into a think uh, uh, what do you call those tanks you go in and sensory deprivation tanks and so I grew up with all this stuff mm-hmm. and then the vampires found me and that's a long story do you have a short version I think I'll write a memoir on it. Okay. You were found by the vampires. I was found by the vampire current, as I call it. The energy around the vampire. The mythology. And the vampire current, to me, vampire spelled with a Y. Okay, because in the old days, back in the 1820s and 1819, there was a guy named John Palladori. He was a boy toy of the notorious Lord Byron. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you know who that is? Yes. Okay. Lord Byron would have sex with anybody. Mm-hmm. And he had a court of boys and stuff like that. And he was the world's first rock star. And he started a short story to submit to a competition. And it was called The Vampire with a Y, B-M-P-Y-R-E. Back then, there was no dictionary. The Americans actually perfected English. Don't tell the British that. Oh, my, my family will remain unaware. Well, we invented the dictionary. <laughs> yes. They, I, I know. They, they are ignorant to those, those things. Um, the French had French down before the Americans had English down. But the, the amazing thing was that Lord Byron didn't finish the story. He pissed off John Palladori, and John Palladori finished the story and created a vampire that was the first Lord Noble vampire that had a personality and that wasn't a zombie or a succubus that would fly through your window or a limea or or a revenant or something like that it was a fully conscious aware undead entity 
more human than anything before. Yeah, more human than monster. But Lord Rutherman would ruin everything. And it was a nickname that uh, one of Lord Byron's girlfriends gave him. So through the 19th century, the modern Western vampire myth developed. And accumulated, it went through Varney the Vampire, Carmilla the Lesbian Vampire, and the Penny Dreadfuls. And then it accumulated into a wonderful thing called Dracula. And they thought that vampire with a Y was too ethnic sounding. So they spelled it with an I. And it stuck. And here we are today. You're trying to bring it back, though. All, all of your things have a Y. Well, not all of my things have a Y. Endless Night Vampire Ball is made for the public. Anything that I want underground and not searchable on... on um, I, I like underground stuff. I like stuff that is hidden in plain sight. And what happened was Lord Byron started, and John Palladori's love rejection, revenge, gay quarrel, turned into the modern vampire myth. Started with queer people, as most good things do. Sorry, hetero people, but... That's <laughs> true. And I, yeah, I think we can all support that. And Dracula became the the template for the modern vampire in Western culture. And then Anne Rice comes along. I just watched her piece. I just doc your, yeah, RIP Anne. Mm -hmm. I met her five times. Oh my gosh. Oh, at book signings. I just wanted to be a fan. I had no interest in being her friend (laughs) or anything like that. I wanted to stay fan. She had her, she had her PA Beck, uh, Becker. Um, and then her son, Chris, and her son's gay, and he's a, his mom's awesome. So what happened was Anne Rice brought in the angelic, predatory, atheist concept to the vampires, and her vampires can't shapeshift. But what Anne Rice contributed to the vampire mythology was the Egyptian thing. That was not a part of vampire mythology before that. Akasha and ankle and the whole origins mm-hmm. of the vampires being in Egypt. That makes sense. It fits really well, but it didn't exist before. And I've been to Egypt and I prayed with Coptic Christians. I prayed in the Grand Mosque in, um, in Cairo. I lived in France for eight years and Holland for three. So I've been closer to the Middle East than the Near East. So then... Anne Rice comes out. She writes Queen of the Damned, or Le- Vampire Lestat in 1993. And then The Queen of the Damned in 1988 came out. I just watched a, uh, a biography on her mm-hmm. that was done during her life. And she was a rejected writer. She, she had traumas and stuff like that. But um, she... she up the, up the game of the vampire genre. And Lestat, my man. What, what is your favorite vampire property? Like media to ingest. <laughs> Eddie Murphy and Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. He's, uh. The mythology is so cool. There's like there's a, sh- a, a dead ship coming up to a dock, and you hear this voice going, and, and the, the, the back story is like, all the vampires in Egypt were killed off and the survivors went to Carp- the Carpathian Mountains, but a few went deep into Africa and here's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. As a, a vampire in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. 
And that I, I love his fangs. And my favorite line in all vampiredom is evil is good. Evil is good. Evil is good. Say it with me. Say it with me. Evil is good. Evil is good. Evil is good. Uh, what year? Out of curiosity, 90s. 90s? Oh, yeah. I love a good 90s yeah. vampire film. We'll have to we'll have to sit down and, and give that a, a binge watch. Speaking of the 90s, that's when you were. I'm avoiding that subject, but I'm, I'll get into it. Okay. So basically what happened was, is I came into the vampire world, the vampire current, the energy or flow of a current. Like you have the current of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. you have the current of Salem. These are collective consciousnesses, consciousness, consciousnesses that relate to a specific genre, the current of Star Wars. Okay. Which Disney changed horribly. No offense. <laughs> I think we can, we, we can mean offend. We, we can offend. Disney, you you castrated Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I, that, I support that statement. Yeah, the Mandalorian was right in the middle and he was badass. What the hell is like? I just got to that episode. Ugh. Oh, it's the, best, it's the best Mandalorian episode of all. I was so excited. All right. Anyways. We got to talk about vampires. I vampires. Guess. That's what I'm good at. Um, Star Wars is just a hobby. Star Wars is life. This is the way. (laughs) The muggle version of May the Force Be With You. So I was was living in Dubai and going to boarding school. And I read Dragon Magazine 109. I used to play Dungeons & Dragons. I loved D&D, but I hid it from every female. Because if you were a woman and you saw a guy playing D&D, you wouldn't talk to him. That was it. We were done. Yep. Yeah. It was game over. Now suicide girls are doing D and D. I was gonna say now, roll like a girl. Now it's in. Now it's in. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't in back in the day. That's no. something you, you did, you know. In your oh, basement. Yeah. It's like let me see your dice. <laughs> I can, I can you, oh I wish. <laughs> Do you know what it would be like having a woman play D and D? It's amazing. Well, it happened to me. Back in the day. Back in the day. So what happened was is I was working I I love Okay, and I found the ultimate way to my my dad tried to send me to all these like hockey boarding schools, and I'm like, Dad, there's no girls here. I'm not going to, I'm not going. And he brought me up to New England and to like all these schools where there was like no women because he was scared I was going to knock a girl up. And I'm like, Dad, I'm not that cool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> play D in my basement. But um, I found this really really amazing school in Pennsylvania called George School. It was a Quaker school. And I met my first Wiccan girl there. And oh. she introduced me to magic. And I was playing D&D. And I was invited to this live role-playing game in Pennsylvania called Xenadria. And I was playing a lich. I'm sure girls know what that is now. I don't. It's a, it's a sorcerer that all his skin's ripped off. And he, he's like an animated skeleton, but he's like super powerful and immortal. And he's on, Jesus is a, technically a lich. Jesus is a lich. What? Yeah. By like by definition of having he's not a di- skeleton. having died and and risen with his spirit like the 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 technical <laughs> It's okay. okay. Don't worry about it. I wonder how my grandma would feel about that. <laughs> I I'm curious to know more but um <laughs> so I was playing a lich. I was the big bad guy. I actually it was I was like 17 or 18 and I had two knights from the run fair as my undead death knights nice and what happened was there's this 
wizards couldn't wear metal because it would knock out their mana, their ability to transfer energy and stuff like that. So that was their way of keeping... You could only have like a knife as at most on you of iron. You couldn't have iron. And so this women were an exception and there was this kind of death knight. She reminds me of a Star Wars Inquisitor. And her job was to kill me and kill undead because she was a woman so she could kick ass. But she went to me out of character and she goes, listen, you got to kill me by 10 o'clock on, mor- on Saturday morning. And I'm like, why? And she's like, because I'm going to a role-playing game in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, called Vampire the Masquerade. And I was like, what does this do tell? And I was having dreams of vampires since I was a kid. My mom was an Anne Rice fan. And what happened was I missed that game. And it was a live role-playing game. And I was doing a magazine at the time, a little newspaper called LARP. Uh-huh. And I, because I saw the all the LARP, I saw the live role-playing game stuff in uh, New England Mm -hmm. in a group called Nero, New England Role-Playing Organization. And that's how I got into that other games in Adria. And I said, okay, let's plan your death. So (laughs) she she took out one of my death knights. Oh, which edition? Is the second edition? Third. Third. Oh, (laughs) duct tape holding it together. Fifth edition's cover sucks. As I, as I whip out a third edition copy of Vampire the Masquerade. Vampire the Masquerade. So this girl introduced me to this, and I was running a magazine, and I saw these all these newspapers in England, and these magazines in England, full-color magazines with latex swords and, and amazing armor that would make cosplayers look jealous today. Okay. And I wanted to go to these LARPs, and I called it a LARP, live-action role-play. So I made a magazine called LARP. It was a 16-page newsletter, and I sent it out to all these different LARP groups. And they go, that is the stupidest name I've ever heard, LARP. Okay, how can you call it LARP? It sounds like an STD. (laughs) Okay, we are not going to call it LARPing. And it is still called LARPing. So we have you to thank for that. I'm sorry. Did you? I created an STD (laughs) called LARPing. <clears throat> no, for those of you who are my critics out there, I did not create an STD called LARPing. I created a magazine called LARPing. I know that you probably got, well, misconstrued it and twist my words, but that's okay. And that's where the term became popularized? Yeah, I sent a copy to White Wolf, and we only did three issues. And some of the guys from White Wolf would show me my old business card, and they were like, we got this in the mail, and they scan it and send it to me and say, you know, we, we, we called it LARPing because you... Had that magazine. So, so you're you're so familiar cool. with with that then? Yes. <clears throat> so Vampire the Masquerade started out with Mark Ryan Hagen, and he started to create a. There's five editions in current experience, like five fifth edition D and D. The fifth edition is extremely controversial, and I have divorced myself from White Wolf. So I I've got to ask you at this point what what clan you played? I played a Lasombra. Of course you did. Yes. So I love the IP. The IP is cool. But I have my modifications to it that would make it a much better role-playing game. So I, I, I'm just going to sort of show you something real quick. Asimite. <laughs> Why would you tattoo Jeffrey's an stripping on the podcast right now. You, you should, guys should see this. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, put your shirt back on. I just had to show him my clan tattoo. My publicist is going to hate me for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all the shit I got to do to clean up all the controversy that you created. And I'm like, 
Oh, you have no idea how far I could go. <sighs> so no, I the clan I played, I, I got the, the symbol tattooed on my shoulder. Vampire the Masquerade is the third greatest contribution to the vampire world. What's yeah. the first and second? Dracula and Anne Rice. Okay. Okay. I can the appreciate that. Vampire myth. Now, what Vampire the Masquerade did is it started off as Mark Ron Hagen going to Anne Rice and saying, I'd like to make a vampire game based on your characters or your universe. And she said, nothing. So he went ahead and created his own. And the, the contributions that to the modern vampire myth, you can see in the shift of media. Vampire the Masquerade, its fans and the people that grew up with it was, in my opinion, the ultimate contribution to the vampire myth, the vampire current, the modern vampire myth. As literally two of us are sitting here today. Yeah. Yeah. So what this did, it came out in 91, and that's when I was at the LARP. The mm -hmm. LARP was 92. Um, live action gaming was obvious for this. And one thing that this did that other games didn't do was there was females that played. There was actually girls that played a role-playing game. Okay, can you believe this? So that that was, to be fair, I learned... <laughs> Okay, here we go. I learned how to play this at Boy Scout Summer Camp. Oh, wow. And the guy who was telling us about it, you know, kind of more gothy, long black hair, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like the, the cliche who you think. And I'd playing D&D, &D, and I swear to you, that was his selling point. Was he, that? He's like, oh, vampires are chicks. cool, right? He's like, dude, girls like to play vampire. <laughs> yeah. So in the courtship ritual of nerds. That's uh, where it started. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, boys were nerds before girls. This new generation of nerdy girls is awesome. One of my favorite things is to see I guess, this new generation of all these kids, you know, and they are men, women, boys, girls, and everything in between and past either one of those things. And I'm like, where were all of you when I was your age? They exactly. were there. They just weren't as accepted, yeah. which is so, like, that's one yeah. good thing about. It was social about, death for a girl. But right. what was cool about Vampire the Masquerade, not the tabletop, but the LARP, was that girls could play and it was all costume based. You play it in nightclubs. So what <laughs> Sarah's like, uh, can we go do this? No, this is what this is basically this is to like be fair, this is what we're gonna go. Yeah, do. this is this is where we have evolved to today. Tonight. Well Tonight. what happened was yeah. Vampire the Masquerade did a couple things for the vampire genre. First, it brought all the vampire myths together in the same universe. Each clan represents a different myth. So you have the Nosferatu, which are the ugly sewer dwellers from Germany. <laughs> well, Nosferatu is a German word. Yes, yes. Um, you have the Bruja. I don't know why they're not witches. They should be. Um, the Gangrel, which are the hippies. The Malkavians, which are crazy. The Toreador, which are the artists. Like Jim Morrison would be a Toreador. Or Andy Warhol would be a Toreador. And there were seven base clans, and then they expanded it. And one of the great things... That I was in the this this is my clan, the Sombra. The Sombra shadows. Yeah, when I meet a girl who's a Slytherin and a La Sombra, I'm in heaven. I'd I'd say Zemisi, but that's just me. What year was that book published? I'm not sure. Can you look for me? And then that's that's the clan I prefer, which is the vampires that kill other vampires. The third edition. <laughs> wow. I think it was ninety nine. What is it called? Asimite. Yeah. Asimite. Yeah. But the White Wolf, the publishing company, right there. 98. 98, yeah. 
So what you look at is the media, mainstream media. 1996, a really shitty TV show came out called Kindred the Embraced. Okay, which was ran for like seven episodes and it was fun, but it was like, you know, 90210 vampires based on Vampire the Masquerade. It was called Kindred the Embraced. Like a, That's I guess, unfortunate. Well, you could akin it to today like a, like a low budget YouTube series. Yeah. To but give it you was like an idea. It, it brought out, and then, then what really ripped it off, but they couldn't do anything about it because it was Blade was blade i just saw that for the first time like okay. a couple weeks ago why well, didn't phenomenal you, you didn't you gotta share these things with me sarah phenomenal sarah your your tour guiding husband here is, <laughs> is like, they are not a real couple but i'm gonna play as they are okay because this is the weird thing about massachusetts in salem is everybody works together as guys and girls and they're not dating it just makes no it's sense true. It's, yeah it's true yeah. what is the power couples in my universe <laughs> we can be a I can't business. spend any more time with him I, than I already do. Okay. Thanks. So what happened was Vampire the Masquerade really took off with Kindred the Embraced, and then it really, really took off with Vampire the, uh, with Blade. Now, what Vampire the Masquerade did was it created a culture of vampires. It created a conspiracy called the Camarilla, which had this law called the Masquerade that vampires couldn't tell people that they couldn't, that there were vampires. It's they a can't reveal it. So you're yeah. wearing a, a mask of human, of human. Humanity yeah. is your mask. It's like it came, the idea came from the theater of the vampires. Vampires pretending to be, um, vampires pretending to be humans, pretending to be vampires, kind of thing. Um, the the hidden plain sight concept. The another th major contribution to it was witches and vampires were in the same universe, and werewolves. Werewolves. Being the enemy of vampires comes from Vampire the Masquerade. There was another game. There's five game properties in the universe. And Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Wraith the Oblivion. Mage the Ascension. And Mummy. Wraith and Changeling. Changeling. Those were the five base properties. Then they had a couple other properties. And they all existed in the same world called the World of Darkness. And Blade was the first major movie to come out that was the universe of Vampire the Masquerade, okay, where there was, a, there in, in, in Blade, they had the Council of Erebus and then the Houses of Erebus, which were like the clans. And they had like the familiars and like ghouls working the nights and like, like they own these nightclubs and they're working in the shadows and like all of those like ideas... Came from, from there. It originated from VTM. Then a more obvious ripoff came out called Underworld. Okay. I am, I am an Underworld lover, I uh, will yeah. admit. White Wolf sued Universal and won. Because the Lycans are the Canis Lupus, or the Lupines. Now, to tell you how serious people were taking this in the 90s is an understatement. I, I went into the vampire, I got in the vampire role-playing games in 92. I started making fangs. I got my first pair of fangs in 93. And in 94, I finally went to New York City and I couldn't find, and I was looking for real vampires. Like, 
I, I read this book called by a woman named Rosemary Ellen Guiley called Vampires Among Us. And she interviewed vampires. It was the first book to interview vampires. I think it was 89 or 90. And in the 90s, was Vampire the Masquerade was actually dispelling the masquerade. People were, self-identified vampires were coming out. And I'm right in the Vampire HQ of New York. Out of the coffin. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> but I was looking for vampires, and I found no community. I found individuals that identified as vampires. But outside of the role-playing game, there was a vampire access line, Val. You could call up and it'd be like, hello, nightside vampires. <gasps> we have a special pogo game coming up on the 20th. Wear your fangs and meet us in Central Park. Oh, and I'm damn. like, this is not what I'm looking for. <gasps> and the role-playing game, everybody was using the terminology from Vampire the Masquerade for their lifestyle vampire things. I was like, this, this, is, this, is, this can't be it. Okay, there's got to be more to this. I went in and I started making fangs. And I tried to sell fangs to LARPers. And they were like, what do you mean they're $50. I'm like, I'm a, I trained as a dental technician for 18 months, okay? I waxed on and waxed off like a karate kid, mm -hmm. okay? I'm not making $50 a pair of fangs. Did you, go, did you train as a dental assistant I trained for under, the purpose of yes. fang making? Yes. Very I got cool. my fangs, and everybody was asking me to get fangs. And nine, uh, November 3rd, 1993, I got my first pair of fangs with my girlfriend Dawn at a hotel in Edison, New Jersey by a guy named Gregor. And his fangs were awesome. And I went to my grandfather and I'm like, Grandpa, can you teach me how to make fangs? He's like, you're crazy. You're a Satanist. No way. <laughs> and my grandfather was very conservative. But cool. He was a good guy. And he was, a, he was an orthodontist. And I go to my aunt, who was in dental school. She's like, that's for dental technicians. Let me introduce you to this dentist up in Bedminster, New Jersey. And I worked under a dentist for 18 months every Wednesday, cleaning and waxing and fixing dentures. Wax on, wax off. Yes, Mr. Miyagi. And I finally gained enough confidence to sit down after everybody's asked me because I had Gregor's fangs. And my go, Mom, I can't afford anything for Christmas, but let me make you a pair of fangs. And so I made my mom a pair of fangs on Christmas Day, 1994. And you made your made, mom? My mom. So was she the first person you made fangs for? Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That's wonderful. And uh, after that, I was like, wow, I can do it. I, like, I actually like trained right. I didn't just go buy a bunch of acrylic and stuff like that and put, put the acrylic in people's mouths and go crazy like that. I, I really honed my craft and worked my ass off in a legitimate dental office. And dentistry's in my family line. And that changed my life. And I, I went out and I started making fangs in 1995. And I'm actually working on my memoirs. They're called The Vampire Sebastian. That's after the Strig of I book's out. It's going to be done in decades. The first decade will be from what I'm talking about now. Because this is all fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I went to a convention in the Marriott Marquis in Times Square called the Dark Shadows Festival. I didn't know what the fuck the show was. I mean, just like, 
little kid playing Vampire the Masquerade, making fangs, looking for vampires in New York. There was no vampire community in New York other than the LARPers and the individual vampires. There's about a population, about 50 of them. But they weren't like network. They knew each other, but they weren't like a community with, with art and stuff like that. My dream was to make a living vampire culture, a real culture. Like, so I guess I'm a cult leader because I created a culture. And I wanted to, I was tired of everybody using Vampire the Masquerade terminology. Because it was like, I'm a bruja. I'm like, That's you go tell witch. that to a bunch of Puerto Ricans and look at you like you're a witch. Right. <laughs> um, and I took the lexicon of Vampire the Masquerade and I sat down and I'm just like, translate, 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 and then rewrite it as a proper lexicon using the Renaissance Fair etiquette. And the Dubenspiegel Society, which was the world's first BDSM community, because the BDSM community had the hanky code, and self-help techniques that my dad gave me in these CDs of how to like do things like in sales and stuff like that. So teaching basically social dynamics and giving it a vampire fangs. Wow. So I basically took self-help techniques and made a vampire community out of it. And it's really interesting because... I'll see on TV people using these terms that I made up when I was taking a, when I was on my throne. <laughs> <laughs> the, wow. the eternal vampire throne. Do you have one that sticks out like in your mind? Coming out of the coffin. Now, there's controversy of this because this is one of these words that can be made up at the same time um, because it makes sense. So 1995 and 1996 were the most pivotal years in my career. Because the first thing that happened was I went to the Dark Shadows Festival and I met a girl named Sandy who worked for Roadrunner Records. I would love to get a hold of her now. I was just a wee 19-year-old or 20-year-old, and she was 27. <laughs> Uh-oh. And I was riding. And you like to flirt. I love the flirt. <laughs> and I loved, um, I loved her because she was just really, really just like, she was a publicist for Roadrunner Records. She worked for Peter Steele. And I'm like, she always dressed like Wednesday Adams. I mean, even today, someone who I, I would still, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a timeless thing. It's a yeah. historical thing. So what happened was is she and I started flirting, and she she was she picked me up. I mean, I was like, actually, or no, no, no. <laughs> she was tiny, and we were hanging out, and we went out to dinner, and she's like, I really think you're fun. I'd really like to go to New Orleans with you and take you to this ball called the Anne Rice Vampire Ball, the Memnock Ball. Interview with the Vampire came out, and I have two tickets. Would you like to be my date? Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, hell, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I was, just I was just flattered that this girl that worked for Peter Steele of Typo Negative, who was his publicist, so... We didn't see each other until, this was June of 1995. I saw, I, I we talked on the phone and, and hung out and stuff, and she was so cool. Like, she was just so smart. And So I, I flew to New Orleans, and I remember coming out of the, I was 20 years old, and I came out of the sliding doors at the airport, and it just, a heat of wave just hit me. I'm like, oh. It's just because I just grew up in Dubai. My mom moved to Dubai while I was in boarding school. And the heat was humid. 
in New Orleans, it was hot, dry heat in Dubai. So I met her and and we took a uh, uh, like a taxi down to we we couldn't get into our Airbnb, which was right next to um, it was like a cottage before Airbnb, but it was um, it was a cottage that was right next to the movie theater that Louis saw Superman in the end of Interview with the Vampire. And this is like, Interview with the Vampire came out in 94, and this is 95. This is like, so in, it's, like it's, it's, it's the it's, thing. This is, this is Anne Rice at her peak. Okay. And the I got there on like a Wednesday or a Thursday, and she brought it in, and Sandy and I went down to Coops, down into Cater Street, and had alligator bites. And I fell in love with New Orleans and I vowed to, and I just, there was some calling there. There was some energy. Yeah. That city is a, is um, definitely the whore of Babylon and, and a lady at the same time. So that weekend is the most memorable weekend of my life. I, uh, we went to Coops. Then we went, we finally could check into the Airbnb and I just remember seeing Decatur Street for the first time and going by Jackson Square, and, and it was just incredible. And we got, I had a velvet coat made. <laughs> Big mistake in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey loves his velvet coats. Yes. And we went to the um, Anne Rice Ball at St. Elizabeth's Orphanage, and we got there about 6 o'clock. You know, they open early you know, fan, literary fan groups don't understand that clubs should open at 10 o'clock. And I'm trying to get Salem City Council to be <laughs> <that in> the <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, like the 7 o'clock opening doors thing has got to stop. And I was like, because I, I gave Ben and Lex the original schedules for Endless Night, the templates. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here, start this at midnight. And they're like, what do you mean? We got to go to bed at midnight and i'm like that's the witching hour what are you doing well that's why we have to go to bed this is puritan new england yes we're we're not we're not allowed to legally drink walking down the street are you kidding uh a lot of the puritan rules that were made are still in effect today that's why we don't go late is because blame them blame the pilgrims the mayflower okay astonishing the lack of nightlife here yeah so basically make a short long story short we showed up at the Anne Rice Ball. I was wearing the velvet coat. Um, I still have the shirt that I'm wearing the shirt tonight that I wore to the Anne Rice Ball. You know, shrine goes a long way. And uh, we're standing in front of the thing. And Sandy, Sandy's tiny. She's like, you know, I can put my chin on her head. And everybody's waiting outside the gates. And we're like, what the hell? What, when are we going to be able to go into this amazing ball? There's like 6,000 people out in the street, all in costumes. And rice got fangs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And a horse-drawn hearse pulls up with two coffins in it. And we're like, what the fuck? And the, these ushers that look like they're out of some Adam's Family movie come and pull the coffin up and pop one coffin up against a pillar and pop another coffin up against another, another pillar at the gates. You know, the st- uh-huh. And then they open the coffin. And Anne Rice just comes out and goes, Hi! <gasps> Oh and God. we're like, holy shit. And the crowd went nuts. And there was no other charge of energy in my life that ever felt like that. 
Did, you, did y'all know that they that no, she was coming? No, this was totally... Un- and then the next thing she does is she comes out and she's like waving to the audience. This is her at her peak. There was no better weekend in her life than this weekend. The movie's been out. Mm-hmm. They're, they're talking about a sequel. Right. Okay, Vampire Lestat with Tom Cruise. And then she goes, I have a surprise for all of you. She opens the other coffin, and Kirsten Dunst comes out in the dress that she was. She <laughs> what? In an interview with the now, Kirsten Dunst aged a little bit, and they had to modify the dress to be able to fit her, you know, because she was a little 12-year-old when she filmed the movie. Right. She was now like 14 or 15. And they got in a carriage, and they greeted every single person that walked through that gate over the two-hour entrance of that event. That That's is pretty cool. Incredible. And then... Sandy and I rampaged through the party that night. There was Victorian dancing in one room. There was Mardi Gras beads with Lestat's brewed beer. There was, um, I remember seeing Chris Rice, her son, walking down the hall with a violin. Um, There was Leather Boys, Pony Boys, um, Victorian dressing. I'm like, this is just amazing. I got to bring this to Limelight in New York. And, you know, you don't get the budget of getting pictures every day. (laughs) Okay, they put like $600,000 into this event. The fan club ran it in a conjunction with a, a event planner. And one wing of the place was just to sign books. Anne Rice got in the carriage and then went and signed books. She loved her fans. She was amazing. So basically that weekend, I came home full of ideas, full of dreams, full of like, I want to see vampire culture happen. I want to see. And that was the first time that like, you know, interview with the vampire came out in 1976 or 75. That was the first weekend that New Orleans was a vampire city. It wasn't really before that. There was the Carter Brothers, the Ursuline Convent, and the Casket Girls mythologies, but they were not brought alive like New Orleans was brought alive by Lestat and Louis and Claudia. So that's where the inspiration really, like, burst I was 20 years old, and I was ready to take on the world. So because of that... We have the endless nights as yeah. it is tonight. So tonight, the, the truth the truth is this. There's a lot of other things that happened that weekend that was just amazing. I, I got to meet Marilyn Manson. I got to meet Fred from um, Fred from uh, Pantera. Um, I worked on a haunted house with them. Sandy was in the music business, so she got into. She knew the, people. She knew people, and so what happened was. I went back to New York and I went to Peter Gation, the owner of Limelight from Party Monster. He was played by a Baldwin, of course. Everybody gets played by a Baldwin. <laughs> and he goes, you go run a vampire ball somewhere else and I'll, you do three vampire balls and I'll let you run one. And then Susan Walsh just appeared in New York. This will all be in my memoirs. You guys will have to read that. But there was a woman, there was a man, woman investigating the uh, East Village. Mm-hmm. And Anne Rice's biographer wrote a book called Piercing the Darkness on it. So, sorry I got a little sidetracked, but that... No, that, that's that's quite the... There's a lot more to the experience. The, the origin story. I was going to say, this is Father Sebastian's origin story so right here. It's pretty cool. So, F, FYI, we're f- recording this on May the 13th. It's a Friday. Tonight. So Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. We are headed to uh, Hammond Castle for a vampire salon. So it's yeah. pretty neat. An to endless be night vampire salon. In Sa- well, not not in Salem, but close enough. But it, it's great to be listening to you tell where this all came where from. This, and like 
we I love the salons, I love the balls, I love the events, but to hear sort of the origin and also, and you know, I can speak to this, the origin of what I'm doing tonight is still, you know, ties to a game and a life that you were involved in that I was, I'm a little younger than you, but sort of on the tail end of, so it's like, so something that I was doing as a teenager, which I'm appreciating and had fun with 20 years later, I'm, I'm, I'm now doing that. But the vampire world has evolved tremendously since yeah. then. And I love how people like, I love how people that take werewolves so seriously, they're like, I'm a lichen. And I'm like, you're from underworld. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a cool, it's cool. The vampire versus werewolf thing. I remember I got to actually say in the world of darkness documentary. And I'm like, I want to say this vampire. The masquerade made up the war between vampires and werewolves. It didn't come from any other time. Yeah. That was all a Vampire the Masquerade thing. So what are the questions you have for so, me? Going back to when you really started gaining this inspiration back in the 90s, did you, you mentioned that your your grandfather, grand, your grandfather was like, ah, oh, no, you're Satanist. Like, that's for Satanist. That's right when, like, the Satanic Panic is really... It was right really, at the end of the Satanic, satanic is, Panic. Did I remember, you see a lot of, like, backlash? Did you no, deal with... No, not at all. That's good. I mean... It was like, there were horror movies with big budgets back then. You know, there was there was a horror genre, horror and sci-fi genre section in my video store. So the subculture was kind of like insulated from any type of... This was, when I was starting in the vampire world was 1992 to 1995. And I really, my dad told me something very important. He goes... Make your passion a business and you will never have to work. So one of our questions that we like to ask people is, do you have any advice? And so there, you go. there, you there go. we go. <laughs> Make your passion your business. And I applied that for my whole life. And it's great. We, we can see that the fruits of, of that labor in, in the events that we go to. Yeah, but tonight is not the first endless night in a castle. It's not the first? No. Which one was the first? 19 no 2014 we had a castle in austria in the alps <gasps> that was owned by the evangelical lutheran church of austria and we had it exclusively for ourselves for five days okay so when are we doing slightly that slightly better than what hammond castle no, we're no, going hammond to castle, but, I mean, hammond castle is but. a very different type of castle okay hammond castle is actually a mansion we were in a castle so so when are we doing that again well, <laughs> we're working on it, but the, the bishop changed, and we, while we were doing things there, a lot of paranormal activity happened after we left, and it scared the Catholics and the Protestants that own. Well, that's their Winch. fault. No, it was, it was definitely my fault. When you summon de- entities that look like dementors into their chapel, it doesn't go over well. And every time we went, more and more paranormal activity would happen, and it would slowly taper off. I mean, their logo was a ghost. It's called Berg Finstergrün, and it was in um, near Rammingstein, uh, Austria, on the side of a mountain. That was it was eight hundred meters up on the side of a mountain. It was a replica castle built in the nineteen hundreds, so it had modern facilities like doors that you wouldn't hit your head on. Mm-hmm. Um, but our DJs tonight, Matt and Angel. DJed in that castle. So they're not they're not alien to DJing in a real freaking castle. That's I mean, this castle awesome. was three hours from anything. It was wow. the most beautiful drive. 
through the Austrian Alps. And we, it came from the same place that uh, Krampus comes from. I think we, we'd go to, I'd fly over there for that. Certainly. <laughs> how, guess how much it was for all the food in the entire weekend. Uh, I don't want to know. because it's $350. Not, I was say it's oh not my gosh. Nothing. Yeah, we rented tour buses to get us there. And it was really awesome. It was a youth hostel. And like literally one night, these, these two composers, uh, this guy who played the organ, um, went to, to this music festival for classical music and then came back and got locked out of the castle. Oh and I walk out on my porch with my coffee and I hear, uh, and I'm like, I look down and there's two frozen French people in a tent <laughs> and I'm like, Armand, his real name is Armand and of his girlfriend. Is. And I'm like, do you want to come in? And they're like, uh-huh. And I'm like, why don't you sleep in your car or like rappel up the side of the castle? We would do rock climbing on the side of the castle. We called it vamp camp. Mm-hmm. It's called the endless night conclave. But the trick, the only game, the only rule about entering that castle, except for one night during the entire weekend, was you had to have custom things by me. And it was awesome because I knew everybody there. That, sound, that sounds like a blast. Like a party. Yeah. So we have a question that we've been asking all of our guests, and this is Salem. Uh, and we asked uh, Ben and Lex, who are the hosts of... Uh, I love Ben and Lex. Bant Fangs and uh, Endless Nights in Salem and Hammond Castle, a slightly different question. So we're going to ask you both the questions. And the first one is, do you have a favorite witch or wizard? Mm. My favorite wizard would definitely be Merlin. Oh, uh, two votes for Merlin. Two for Merlin. You know, there's another wizard that I like more than him. three, no. Elminster from the Forgotten Realms. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's he's the he's in the vein of Gandalf and Merlin. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's that's our typical year in Salem. We're gonna ask you a Salem question, uh, but we also asked Ben and Lex, and you might have already answered this. Who's your favorite vampire? Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's what I but, just a circle back. I'm extremely fond of Gary Oldman as Dracula. Yes, I really have a lot of respect for that. Um, I'm also really fond of, I know Lestat makes it for me, even the new Lestat, the new, 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 new Lestat, he does an okay job, but he's in between Stuart Townsend and, um, Tom Cruise. He's like a mixture of those two. So one last, one last question. Uh, obviously you've spent a lot of time in Salem. It of course has this energy much like New Orleans. What would you say is your favorite part about which city, your favorite thing about Salem? Well, what I think is interesting about Salem is the most common... Let's just bring it to the most common question I get. What is What do I prefer, Salem or New Orleans? Okay. I would never make you choose. I'm not going to choose. <laughs> okay. You can have both. Um, Salem is older. And there's 250 hotel rooms in the city, and there's 28,000 in New Orleans. So Salem is more of a northeast trip drive to park and go walk down Essex street and go on some tours and you're done by 10 o'clock New Orleans is you get there and the heat grabs you and throws you on the ground and beats you up and <laughs> pickpockets you and you watch fights on bourbon street and blood fly everywhere and, and, and horse drawn carriages and, and you probably black out because it's your first time going there drinking. Um, <laughs> Salem is a much, much more 
Salem is amazing for what it is. And that is in a historical city with a real myth behind it. That's witches. And one of the things that I think Ben and Lex are doing with Salem is they're bringing the vampire here in a way that's going to have as much impact in 10 years or 20 years as the witches. I think that Ben and Lex are one of the best things about the city and they're extremely creative. Um, We've already seen so much just within the last couple of years. Yeah, two, that years. Yeah. yeah. And I, and they, they, they really understand my IP and my vision and I wouldn't franchise with anybody else. Like, like, and then when there's a problem, they work it out. And I really appreciate them for that. The Endless Night started in New York. We're 20 years, 22 years in New Orleans, 25 years in New Orleans now. And the, I, I'm a tell it as it is guy. Mm -hmm. I'll give my opinion whether people want it or not or like it or not. I mean, mm -hmm. you take it or leave it. But I'm getting older, and I can say what I want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. And one thing that's really important to say is that I never thought Salem could be a vampire halo or a city for vampires. And Ben and Lex have changed my opinion. Oh, here's to Ben that's, and Lex. Yes, here's to Ben and Lex. Ben and Lex truly get what Endless Night is and the legacy of it and the story behind it and the history and the evolution and... Every Endless Night City is a different experience. When we do Dallas, it's different from, because we're all going to the barbecue. <laughs> we go L.A., it's Hollywood with a red carpet. Um, New York is New York. Um, I'm, I'm thoroughly, I haven't been to another city yet. I'm, I'm excited to try and uh, check that off this year. And that's the magic of Endless Night is it travels. It's yeah. a traveling circus. And it is like, it's like a night circus. It's this yeah. bizarre, fantastic world of, of vampires and whatnot. But um, we got to wrap it up. Uh, just a few quick things. Um, if you guys are listening, probably this can be about early mid September, mm -hmm. and you're planning to come to Salem, Saturday, October first is the second annual Endless Nights Ball here in Salem. Endless Night Salem Vampire Ball. There we go. Looking forward to that. And Endless Night used to be the company. Now it's the brand. Now it's the brand. And I'll be there. You'll be there. And of course, I'll be there with my wife, Lynn. And we're looking forward to it. And we're doing a whole tour this fall. But it's great to be out of the pandemic and back to doing real things. Very much. Yes. Uh, do you have any last thing you want to say, plug, talk about? Yeah. I think that if you're seeking the vampire world, it's okay to express yourself as you want. As long as you don't physically harm anybody. And... The vampire world is the most diverse place I've ever seen. But beware of charlatans. Okay. Do what you find important, but stay within the law, respect each other, and listen to other people's ideas. Because the vampire is the most shape-shifting werewolf. It could be a werewolf. It could be an alien. It could be a Christian. It could be an atheist. And... Watch the movie Life Force. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that'll explain it. But right. uh, I think we got to go get ready for a vampire party. Yeah. Got to go get vampire. In a up. castle. There we go. Uh, 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Father Sebastian. My ears hurt. It was an absolute (laughs) pleasure. (laughs) Could you just do one thing? Yeah. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. I bid you welcome to Salem the Podcast with my Southern California accent. (laughs) This is Father Sebastian (laughs) signing off. Wonderful. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.